Hello, this is Matt Kretze with MK Sports and Entertainment. This is the second podcast of MK Sports Around the World. We are now headed for the world of basketball. Uh, my first guest will be Emily Harmon. She's a former Ohio State Buckeye and is now currently living and playing basketball in Australia. After that, I'm going to check in with former client Carmen Reynolds. Carmen is also uh, local to Columbus. And she played at Ohio State's biggest rival, the University of Michigan. So this should be fun. So how do two Columbus, Ohio natives choose these schools? They have pressure on them to make the right decision. So how did they do it? And did they make the right choice looking back at it now more than a decade later? Stay tuned to find out. I have my longtime client, Emily Harmon. This is her seventh year playing outside of college, I think. So Emily is from the Pickerington area and is an OSU grad, is currently in Wyndham, Australia, a suburb of Melbourne. Emily, how are you doing? Yeah, good. Thanks for having me, Matt. Glad to have you. You're the longest tenured client on my roster now, so I figured this would be a good beginning to start out with a little bit about your basketball career. I know basketball has been a big part of your life for a long time. Tell the listeners a little bit about how you started in the game and and where you grew up. Yeah, so I grew up, um, actually, I went to Lakewood, which is out by Buckeye Lake. So that's kind of where um, my love for basketball sparked a bit because I had two older brothers and they were always playing. So I just kind of wanted to be one of the boys and jumped in. And I think that's where I got a bit of my competitive spirit from, if that's what you want to call it. So honestly, I can't remember when I started playing. I just, my earliest memories that I have of being alive or with you know basketball in my hand and so that's where I grew up playing and then I moved to Pickerington in my high school days had an awesome experience there at Pickerington went on to Ohio State for college and then have been overseas playing for seven years now so a so, long journey so uh, your brothers did they play in high school as well um yeah they played um they were multi-sport so they didn't really so much focus on basketball like I did Um, But yeah, they played back in the day. And Pickerington is kind of a hotbed for women's basketball or girls basketball, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, you were always tall. I assume you were, you're 6'2 now. Were you always a a post player? Um, Well, when I was, I've been 6'2 for quite some time. So when I was in like fifth and sixth grade, I was towering over everyone. But because I had been around the game so much, I knew how to handle the ball and stuff like that. So I was actually a point guard when I was younger. Now, obviously, when I got older, coaches were not so um, happy to have me as their point guard, which I understand. Um, yeah. So since, so since people started catching up, uh, yeah, I became a post player. Okay. So at least since junior high? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So were I still, you... every, every now and then, I like to think I'm the point guard, but it just doesn't work. Yeah. When did you get to six feet tall? Were you in high school? I would have been in about the eighth grade, seventh grade, maybe. So, okay. I mean, I, I sprouted up fairly pretty quickly. quickly. Yeah. Yeah. So tell me about your, your high school teams were all, all pretty good. Tell me about your, your high school career. Like, like you mentioned, Pickerington was kind of a hotbed for women's basketball. So, you know, I was super excited to be able to have my high school career there. Um, and I was just always surrounded by high-performing, you know, people. And that was, I think that helped make me um, into a better person, a better athlete. But, you know, cause I, I got to grow up playing with, as a freshman, you know, our senior group was really good. You had Stephanie Stevens, um, 
who went on to play at Cincinnati. Um, and then juniors, you had Veronica Wilson, who went on to play at Boston College. And I was just surrounded by, you know, elite athletes. And that, that definitely um, helped my development, as well as, you know, making the experience of playing there. And, um, you know, as far as our successfulness as a team. Yeah, I'd say right up there with the best of them. And did you play AAU as well? Yeah, I played. Um, I loved AAU. I played um, for some time in Columbus, but most of my um, career in high school was played with the Dayton Lady Hoopstars. Um, so I had John Coffey as my coach back then, and I still believe John is around all the games these days, still still doing his thing. So um, I was very lucky to have him as a coach. Um, still a pretty inspirational figure in my life today, but uh, yeah, I loved my time with the Dayton Lady Hoopstars, and AAU was just fun. Nice. And you, I think you keep in touch with a lot of those players too, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, I was lucky enough to get to play with Michaela Roof a few years ago um, over here in Australia. Um, and then, you know, still in touch with a lot of the girls who are, a couple of them have moved on to coaching in college and just following where everyone's lives are today. I don't think we would ever guess it when we were younger that we would be where we are today. So it's cool to see um, the different directions everyone went in. I read that you were the 23rd best prospect in the country coming out of Pickerington Central, and you were the co-player of the year for Ohio. You're, as a, is that senior or junior? Senior, um, year? senior year, yes. Okay. And first team All-State three years in a row. So tell me, I know you had big-time schools looking at you, like Duke and Notre Dame and Purdue and Stanford, pretty much, you know, who's who of women's basketball, everybody but UConn, yeah. I think. But um, yeah. so tell me. How difficult of a decision was it, and how long did you take? I think as a junior, you committed to OSU. Yeah. Tell me a little bit yeah. about that process. Well, like, as a kid, you – like, I got my first offers in the seventh and eighth grade, and that's pretty early for that process to start. And uh, it's um, it's a stressful process that a lot of people look at, and they, and they go, oh, you should just be grateful that you're having these opportunities, and 100% – you should be. But what a lot of adults don't understand is like how much of a head game it is for a lot of young kids who have all this on their shoulders and a huge decision to make. So for me, it was it was a very grueling process of figuring out, you know, what was best. But just I'm a bit of a perfectionist. So when you have to play in front of all those coaches and stuff like that, like, you know, any any high competitive person, they and they have that sort of drive playing in those sort of situations, it, you either thrive in it or, you know, you break in it. And so um, for any kid really going through the process, it's a lot more difficult than what most understand. But, was, but like, was it overwhelming? Kind of, um, yeah, yeah, it was for me. And yeah. I wish I knew, you know, I wish I had somebody to help me out a little bit with it as far as what to expect and how, how to sit down and make the best decision and not make an impulsive decision or not make a decision just because you're done with the process and you don't want to do it anymore. Sure. Um, how, how to not, you know, how to really look at it and see what school is the best fit for you, not what is the best fit for everyone else. Um, so it is, it is overwhelming, but at the same time, I don't want to take away from the fact that any kid in that situation should be extremely, you know, grateful for the opportunity because a lot of kids would kill to be in that position yeah and did you visit all those campuses um yeah I went I and that's and that was an awesome experience I think some of my visits were to Notre Dame um went to a football game there and that you know 
Notre Dame football game is pretty awesome. Doesn't quite, you know, match up to an Ohio State football game, but it's it's a pretty cool experience. Another favorite visit of mine was Duke. Um, I got to do one of the um, Duke North Carolina games on my visit, which was insane. Wow! Um, so I got to I got to do and see a lot of cool um, things at a lot of cool places. So how did you ultimately make the final decision? I always wondered the Columbus kids that end up at OSU. Is it a lot of pressure from family and friends? Do you feel that, or is it um, more of a you know relief that you kind of you know a lot about OSU already? So it's you, you think it's going to be an easier transition? Tell me a little bit about how you made the decision because I know a lot of kids struggle with it, and like you said, it can be overwhelming. So so what did you do to to get through it? Yeah, it, and and that's it. You have a lot of different people in your ear at the same time. Sometimes the easiest decision isn't always the right decision. Um, And sometimes those homegrown kids tend to make the easy decision because, yeah, look, I've got my friends here. I've got my family here. No matter what happens as far as basketball, I still have that bit of comfort around me. I'm not saying that's why I made my decision, but it was 100% a factor in it. Whereas I don't think I really blossomed in my career until I left home and had to kind of, you know, like on weekends, I could always go home. I could always go home, you know, anytime I had a bad practice, anytime I you know had a, had a bad test, I could always go home. Whereas, you know, once I went overseas, you know, you can't just go home after a bad day. You like, you have to learn how to work things out on your own and stuff like that. Um, as far as how I made my decision, Ohio State was always high on my list. Obviously, you know, you grow up in Ohio and you want to be a Buckeye. Like that's just how it works when you're in Columbus. Um, but I did have that pressure as far as um, everybody being in your ear about, you know, this is where you should go. This is where you should go. And to be honest, I never had that gut feeling that that's where I should go. I never, that never clicked for me. I just said, okay, pretty much like, okay, I'll go here. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that's a bit of a, a raw answer that, you know, some people might not like, but, but, you know, that's the truth. And that's what happens to a lot of kids. So now you're at Ohio State, and I know you had, I think you had an upperclassman. Wasn't it Jantel in your, at your yeah, position? Yeah, You know, a superstar in the Big Ten. So, you know, obviously it's, it's going to be tough on a young player to get playing time with her in the lineup. But tell me a little bit about your college career. Yeah, I mean, and that's it. I had a lot of um, really good players in front of me Um, but I wouldn't say that's a bad thing like I learned a lot from those players and they you know competing against them every day at practice makes you a better player either way my college career overall you know didn't go the way that I wanted it to Um, anyone who looks into it knows that do I wonder what if absolutely but I wouldn't change it for anything because I learned I learned what kind of a teammate do I want to be what kind of person do I want to be what kind of coach do I want to be, you know, when I get to coaching at that level, like it a hundred percent made me who I am today. So I wouldn't change any of it. And I still thoroughly enjoyed my experience. You know, I loved my teammates, my roommates. I don't want to doubt, like being a Buckeye was awesome. Yeah. You learn from everything in life. So it's, it's something that made you into a stronger, tougher person. Yeah. absolutely. Didn't you, you battle some injuries too there, right? Yeah, yeah. And I had some knee injuries um, when I was at Ohio State. I think it was 
my freshman and my sophomore year, um, I had some meniscus issues. So that kind of held me back a bit. And that was another part of the mental aspect. You know, when you're a kid whose basketball is their world and then you get put in the situation where now you can't play it, now you're injured, um, you know, working through that. And as far as overcoming all that, it's not as easy as it sounds. Um, so I did have to battle that my first couple of years um, there at Ohio State. But we had an awesome athletic trainer who got me through it. And, you know, my last couple of years were healthy. And it's all you can ask for, really. Sure. So coming out of Ohio State, I think I met you soon after your senior season ended. But tell everybody how you kind of made the decision that, you know, I'm not done playing basketball. I want to want to try overseas. Yeah, yeah. Well, and again, back to that college playing like there's a bit there's always a bit of stress and a bit of pressure under it and you want so badly to get court time and you want so badly to prove yourself that the stress can become a bit overwhelming and you're not so much playing for fun anymore you're playing you know to prove a point you're playing to you know just get it done and so after after college I never stopped playing like I would go down to the rec about every day and there was boys there who would play pickup and I just started playing with them and then that's what kind of sparked my I just remembered like some light switch went off where it's like oh my god like thank you so much fun you know where I hadn't I honestly hadn't had that for four years really um, and so I, yeah I think that's what kind of sparked it where it was like I remember like when I started having fun I remembered hey I can I can play this game and but in that meantime I ended up getting a job um, at a hospital as a medical chart um, person, which was, it was good, it was good, something other than basketball, but it just wasn't it. Like I did it for four months and like, there's just this feeling in my stomach and it was like a sickening feeling that I just was not doing what I was supposed to be doing. Yeah. I think that day I um, messaged Amber Stokes, who was one of your clients and um, I was like, hey, you, you have Matt's number, I know you have an agent, do you mind passing me that information? And I went out in the hallway at work and I gave you a call. And I think two weeks later I was off to Ireland and yep. that was, that was all she wrote. Yeah. I think med- medical records reviewer is probably a good <laughs> push towards going into pro basketball. Yeah. Had, like, to be I, honest, lot- it was one of those, like I would hide in the, in the, in the closet. Like this is not me. <laughs> I've had a lot of people take their first job after college and then call and say, hey, well, I'm not done yet playing basketball. <laughs> so that happens. So yeah, yeah. yeah, the the first job out was Glanmire Club in Cork, yeah. Ireland in 2014. I think Paul Kelleher was your coach. Tell yeah. me about that first season going into it, you know, how you were feeling. I know you were you were slowly getting your confidence back. Yeah. Yeah. That was I think that was the biggest thing for me. I've just um as I mentioned like I started playing at the rec and I remembered how much fun it was and that I could actually really play still. And the biggest thing for my first year overseas was building that confidence that, hey, no, I'm allowed to shoot that shot. Like, you can make that pass. Like, starting to have a brain of my own, a basketball brain of my own again. And so that was my biggest hurdle, I think, is just to remember how to play and that I could play. And Paul Kelleher is honestly still to this day one of the best coaches that I had, and he was just the perfect fit for me at the perfect time. Yeah. I, I remember you did, you did a lot with him individually, workouts and. Yeah, um, he would get up with me at 6 a.m., 7 a.m., whatever time of the morning and, and do workouts um, before he went to work. And as far as player development, him and my coach that I have now, Reese Potter, are two of the best coaches I've had throughout my whole career. So 
That makes really a huge difference. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And it, it paid off. You were first team um, all Ireland, I think, and your, your team Glanmire won the league championship, right? Yeah. And that's such a cool experience. Um, you know, obviously their the system of their tournaments and seasons are a bit different than what you're used to. Um, I remember they our our European cup was in the middle of the season and like, I was like, all right, a tournament in the middle of the season. Sure. And then we won it. And like, it's a huge deal there. And it is, yeah. they partied for three days straight. And I'm like, we still have half a season to play. <laughs> but, you know, that's, that's just how Ireland was. And it was, it was such a cool experience. That's great. And then you, I can't remember how long you came home. It wasn't long, was it? And you went right to Australia. Um, yeah, no, I went straight to um, Australia from Ireland. So oh, I was did. gone. Okay. Yeah, I was gone from home for about a year straight that year, um, which it was my first time ever being away from home like that. So uh, that was really hard, but it was also, I think, really good for me at the same time as far as my own personal growth. But yeah, you were probably probably the one that I remember that had the, the, I don't know, it was like 47 hour flight from Ireland to Australia with six layovers or something. Oh, look, you remember that? It's a it's a trip of my nightmares still today. Yeah, like I, I had to catch a three hour bus from Cork to Dublin. I had to fly from Dublin to London. I had to f- fly from London to like Dallas, Dallas to Chicago. And I remember sitting in my Chicago flight, and the flight next to it was to Columbus, Ohio. And like I wanted so badly to, <laughs> to just, hop on that. To just hop on that. But then I went Chicago to LA, then I went LA to Melbourne, and then it was a four-hour drive to the place I was at in Australia. So it was a 50-hour trip, I swear. That's, that's amazing. And you still, yeah. you still wanted to play after that, so that's good. <laughs> yeah, I had a game two days later. So. Oh, so that was with Albury, right? Yeah. And you ended up doing really well. I don't think the team was very good, but you ended up, I think, first in rebounds in the league and second in scoring. And that was in the C-Bowl, and that was a pretty high-level league. Yeah. Um, was it just you were feeling good? You had just won in Ireland and things were, were rolling along? Yeah, I mean, I think it was one of those things where I finally understood what I could do, and I finally got my confidence back and um, was just really loving and enjoying playing the game, but also so grateful to play the game at the same time because of what, I've, what I had been through to get to that point. So I think all three of those things had a huge impact in as to that my year, that year. And you've been in Australia ever since. So that was, I think, the summer of 2014. And this would be, this would have been, had it not been for COVID, this would have been your seventh straight season in Australia. And you've been on that Australian schedule. You haven't gone back to Europe. And you've been in Albury, you went to Tasmania, then Nunawading, Perth, and then Albury for two years in a row. And then now you're in in Wyndham, which is a suburb of of Melbourne. Tell me, you know, why you decided to stick it out in Australia. What was it about Australia that made you want to stay? Yeah, when I first, when I first came over, the seasons worked out really well because um, seasons are opposite here. So when it's summer, there it's winter here when it's winter in America it's summer here so it worked out really well as to I can play my season and get to go home um during the winter which was Christmas and Thanksgiving and all that um so honestly that being able to spend that time with my family um during my off season um during those holidays was a huge factor in it 
and I also just I fell in love with the style of play here. I fell in love with the lifestyle here. It's it's very um, it's not so different. Like you're, it's still pretty Americanized to be honest, but it's not so different that it's uncomfortable. But at the same time, you are getting that different um, overseas experience. So you get a, a bit of comfort with a bit of challenge. Okay. Um, and their lifestyle is very laid back compared to ours. And I just I just fell in love with it. So that was for the first few years, you know, I just wanted to come back. And then of course I met my wife who is a huge reason as to why I'm still here. Yep. And full, you've been there full time, what, three years? Yeah. So I've been here. Well, I, I go home for about eight weeks um, at a time, but I started um, working as a basketball development officer, which is my full time job now. And then also, of course, got married. So those two things, you've pretty much built a bit of a life here and um, I'm doing really well. So that's, that's keeping me around. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, a lot of Americans who go over there to play, you know, that they, they ask me, Hey, can I just stay on this schedule? I love the, being home for the holidays. I love the people, the weather. It's just, I don't know. They seem to be more comfortable there than a lot of other yeah. places. And I don't know if it's just the easier transition with English and, you know, like you said, the yeah, yeah, it all that plays a huge, life and yeah, that all plays a huge factor. Like I said, you're still getting that novelty of the overseas experience where you're getting that um, this is different than home, but also it's not so different that you can't be comfortable. Everyone speaks the same language that you, you know, you can go to a restaurant, sit down and order food. You can have conversations and understand, you know, what um, people are saying to each other. So there is um, that bit of similarity where you're also getting that bit of um, overseas experience as well. So I think that's a huge reason why people love it. So I don't remember what season it was, but I'm sure you do. But while you were there, your mom had kind of a scary diagnosis. Was that your second year? Third year? Yeah, that was after um, my first year here. She ended up with three different types of cancer, breast cancer, melanoma, and thyroid yeah, so that all happened after my first year here. And I was actually on a flight to Tassie, which would have been going into my second year to Tasmania. Okay. Um, and then a big snowstorm hit and my flight ended up getting canceled. And at the same time as when she got the call from her doctor that she and you know got diagnosed with breast cancer, it was um, almost like it was, I got a couple extra weeks at home, which helped, you know, kind of cope with that before I left. Yeah. 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 So it all, it all sort of, I don't want to say worked out because that's by no means working out, but it was a bit of a blessing that I got to spend some extra time there at home before I left. And she had recently retired, right? Right before that? Yeah. Yeah. She, well, I don't remember what year she, she's retired, but you can't keep the woman down. Like she keeps going back. Really? And like still today, she's substitute teaching. But at that point, she was a principal. Okay. Um, you know, I think it all became a bit too much where they said, hey, you need to, you know, take a step back and kind of focus on you rather than, you know, the stresses of the job, which she, she did end up doing. Um, but yeah, like I said, you can't keep her down. She's still in the schools. Yeah. Doing her thing. Well, some people are like that. Yeah. yeah. I'm sure you would be if you were in that boat. But Oh, uh, yeah. So it's, you know, it's one of those things where people think it's all, you know, rainbows and butterflies when you're overseas playing basketball, but you don't really think about all the things you miss and all the, you know, if you're close with your family, you miss birthdays, you miss 
holidays. Yeah. You miss, you know, births of nieces and nephews and um, even funerals of grandparents I've had players miss. And it's just, yeah. you know, you're gone seven months out of the year. So everything that occurs back home, I mean, you can keep in touch pretty well over FaceTime and, you know, that helps. It's a lot better now with internet than it was 20, 30 years ago when people were playing overseas. But, you know, Australia, especially, it's not like you can jump on a plane and be home in seven or eight hours like you can from, from Ireland. So yeah, tell, tell me about that part of it. I mean, you were, you had stresses in college and, and things that, you know, pressure and that type of thing, but I'm sure being a day and a half away in Australia while your mom and, and dad and everybody else is having to deal with that. It's got to be rough. Yeah, a hundred percent. And, and like you said, like obviously with my mom being sick and then um, my dad ended up with cancer as well. So both of those things have hit really hard with me with being overseas. And, and like you said, it's not all sunshine and rainbows um, when you do choose to be an overseas athlete, because you know, you're missing out on that. You always have that, oh, what if something happens and I can't get there? You know, I miss, um, and I'm a very family-oriented person. Like, I'm extremely close, close to my family. Like I mentioned, yes, that's why I was at Ohio State, but, you know, that wasn't a bad thing. I, I didn't miss a thing, whereas, you know, now I miss just about everything. Um, so that's, it's hard, and, like, still today, there's not a day that goes by where it's not, you know, hard. But, it, doesn't, it doesn't get any easier. No, that's 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 right. You learn you learn your coping mechanisms, and you learn to look at. You know, I believe every single thing that has brought me here today happened for a reason, and I I know for sure that I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing. Um, and you find a bit of peace in that. That you know, okay, yes, this is hard, but I know I'm doing what I should be doing right now, what I'm called to do. But yeah, there's not a day that goes by where you don't think about, you know, oh, can't get home. Yeah. But it, it, I'm sure it does make you value the time, those eight weeks when you're home. I'm sure yeah. it's, you know, quality time spent and you, yeah, everybody like, realizes that this is wonderful that we're all together. Yeah. Like to be honest, when I go home, I'm not interested in traveling around or doing anything like that. And I really only see those select friends who I, you know, are almost like family to me. Like that time is just spent, you know, sitting on the couch and hanging out with my loved ones and stuff like that. So that time is really special and really, really important to me. Um, so yeah, it's, it's tough. It's Father's Day week and I know you're really close with your dad. So tell us a little bit about him and, and your relationship. I'll cry if I talk about it. <laughs> well, just um, talk a little bit. You know, I don't want to yeah, make you cry. Yeah, yeah. No, my dad is such a an influential person in my life. Like, he's if you look at him, he looks like the toughest guy you'll ever meet. But he's just a giant, a giant teddy bear who can do anything for anyone at any time. Our conversations are very short. We don't talk that much, but at the same time, we do talk that much. But like, you know, it's just, hey, how are you today? And that's all. That's all we need. Like. He's just, you just know that there's so much love there from him to me and from me to him. Like we just so have always had this special bond between us. Um, and he's such, he's, he's my Superman. Yeah. Yeah. And his cancer you said was right soon after um, your mom was diagnosed. He, he got diagnosed with prostate cancer maybe about two years ago now. Okay. Um, so he's been through the treatment, but still dealing with the side effects from that. And I think, you know, that's the thing with any cancer is yet 
if you, you get through it, but you still have to deal with the side effects from the radiation or, you know, sure. the chemotherapy and stuff like that. So he's still, um, still kind of dealing with those, but at the same time, just like my mom, they just, they just keep going. You know, he's still, he's still doing the things that make him happy and they've got the grandkids there, which keep him pretty busy. So yeah, they, he's, ha- he's doing all right. Happy father's day to it's Larry, right? Yeah. Yeah. Happy Father's Day, Dad. So you talked about building your life and and career in Australia and talk a little bit more about what you're doing now with uh, the Wyndham Club and and your job and your role there. Yeah. So I'm a what's called a basketball development officer. So I'm in charge of the junior development for um, all the young kids here growing up and all their individual skill work and stuff like that. So my first group of ages that I have is five years old and I um, you know, work up with them up to about 16 years old and all day I pretty much like during the day I'm in the schools and I've got a team of coaches that work um, with me with this um, and we run training programs for PE classes in the schools and then after school we run different um, sorts of programs for their individual skill development based on their age groups and their skill level um, so pretty much in summary basketball development officer is just playing basketball with kids all day so it's pretty cool that is nice yeah it takes a lot of energy to be honest but it's it's pretty i mean if you were to ask me what a dream job was a couple years ago you know this getting to play basketball all day with kids is pretty cool is that what Um, you is that what you thought you'd initially end up you know as a career in basketball or coaching or teaching uh, no not at all (laughs) Um, I i didn't think so no, and I, and I still don't know where, you know, as far as where my long-term career takes me, um, you know, this, I think this is just a stepping stone as part of my development um, with coaching and with um, training kids and stuff like that. But I've been doing it for a while now and I, re- I do really enjoy it. I'd like to eventually get into some more elite and advanced stuff, but this is, you know, absolutely as far as you think about a career path, this is pretty, pretty good. And I've seen your videos and I know talking to people that you, you do a really good job with it and you, uh, you know, seem to enjoy it. And these kids need something like that. It's hard to find good coaching when they're, when they're little and good instruction and, you know, the, the basics to build, you know, a, yeah. a basketball career out of. Yeah, that's, and, th- and that's why we do it is a lot of times, um, you know, like the kids, they have their team trainings and stuff like that, but a lot of times that individual breakdown of skills is something you miss out on in a um, team training environment. Um, so we try and break it down, you know, based on their age and their skill. Um, so really nobody gets left, befo- left behind and they all have that chance if they want to, to um, continue to develop and continue their game onto something bigger and better once they do get to that age, you know, so all you can do is give them the tools and let them do with it what they will. So what, what is, what comes next? I know COVID kind of, put a halt on your season, but what are your future plans? Yeah. So like you said, the whole COVID bit definitely threw a spin in the season. Um, obviously I, I'm still playing and still take my playing very seriously. So it's, yes, I, I do the coaching as a full-time job, but in my head I do also the playing as a full-time job. So I am just kind of um, in a bit of a waiting game to see what's next as far as playing, but that's 100% still, on the table and I am looking forward to whatever does come next as far as that goes. And then I've used this time um, as part of professional development with work to also get my strength and conditioning 
certification. So, you know, it's something I've wanted to do for a couple years ago, for a couple years now, but just haven't had the time. So this bit of a shutdown as far as basketball in person goes, gave me that time to pursue that, which is awesome. So I almost have that certification done, which will um, give me another bit on my resume to do something with. Like I said, I still don't know what it is I want to do, but if I can build up, you know, little chunks along the way to point me in the right direction, that's what I'm trying to do. Yeah, well, that, that'll keep you in good shape. I mean, that knowledge, yeah, that's, your, that's, you know, your that's whole right. life, that's great to have. You're, you're back at work now, right? The last, was it a week or two, you said? Yeah, so this this week um, is the first week we've been back in the building as far as work goes. Our stadium opens up on the 22nd of June. Um, so what that means is our, you know, kids can start trickling back in and we'll be picking our programs and camps back up in our competitions. We have to work with, obviously, the restrictions on how many kids are allowed on the court at a time, um, how many people are allowed in the gym at the time. So I work at a 12-court stadium, so we have a lot of courts. Um, so managing, which is great, but managing the um, flow of numbers will be a bit tricky. But um, So, yeah, there's a lot of challenges going forward, but I think we're all pretty happy to get back to basketball. I've been doing online classes for the last 10 weeks, which is great, but I have absolutely no desire to continue doing online classes. So I'm yeah. pretty excited to see the kids. Well, that's good. So you've got, you've got the residency basically and, and a little bit of the accent. So what's the, <laughs> what's the status of the dual residency or the, you know, becoming a, a true Australian? How does that happen? Yeah, it's not that easy. Like no. I, I am married um, to an Australian, um, but unfortunately that doesn't give me my residency. I still have to pay about eight grand for that. <laughs> so right now I am trying to save up to do that, which becoming a resident opens up a lot of doors for me playing wise as well and work wise. So it's, yeah, it'll be really beneficial once that does come through, but that can be, a, it's, it could be a six month process. It can be a two year process. Um, just depends how things go. But with that, I, it doesn't change my citizen. Like I'm still a citizen of America, but get to have residency here because I live, um, work and I'm married here. So yeah, hopefully, you know, can get to that sometime soon. And then once you get that, you will no longer be counted as an import player, but you would be an Australian player, right? Yeah, that's right. So for anyone who doesn't know the way um, playing works overseas is each team is allowed to import. Um, so because I'm a, American without residency here, I'm still considered an import, which does um, restrict things. And with work to your visa is you can only, um, you know, you can only do one type of job because you have to follow those strict visa guidelines. So um, once you're a resident, it does open up that um, gate, that floodgate a little bit. But, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm so happy, honestly, with where I'm working and where I'm playing. You know, I don't want to change any of that, but it, it's nice to have um, a weight, you know, that weight off your shoulders to have that residency and not stress about it. Sure. And I, was it last year you were married in Hawaii? Um, six months ago. Oh, yeah. Six months. Right, be okay. right before we timed it pretty well, right before the, um, the whole coronavirus um, took its toll. So yeah. we still got to have the wedding and have both our families there. I um, saw pictures. It looked, it looked beautiful. Oh, honestly, it was, it was out of a, you know, it's a bit cl cliche, but it was, it was literally out of a storybook. Like you couldn't ask for a better um, background. <laughs> yeah. 
Well, I, I think I deserve some of the credit because I initially sent you to Australia. And had you not gone to Australia, you wouldn't have found your, your wife. That, that's exactly right. Everything, every, like I said, everything happened, like meeting you, um, you know, I needed somebody to take a chance on me and you took a chance on me and, you know, uh, I definitely have you to thank for a lot of my life today. Oh, thank you. I was just kidding, but I'll take it. But thank it's you. true, but it's true. Yeah. Uh, you know, I can't, I cannot um, forget to note that. Well, it is, it is neat to see that, you know, how, how your career has kind of played out. And I, re I remember very vividly meeting with you after college and I could tell, you know, you really wanted to play and you still had a lot left in the tank. I mean, you were healthy, you, yeah. you know, kind of had something to prove and you wanted to prove not only to other people, but to yourself that you could go and compete at a high level and make a career yeah. out of it. And you did it. And not everybody finds a place that they want to stay forever or, you know, for the foreseeable future, but it's pretty neat that you've been able to make a career out of it and are enjoying life and living in a cool place and, and you're local. So I get to see you every once in a while when you come home. So it's neat. Yeah. I definitely have a lot of um, blessings to count. Like, you know, it, it hasn't been an easy journey, but the timing of everything, the way that it all happened, you know, you couldn't, I wouldn't rewrite it. Um, yeah, it's been, it's been exactly what I needed when I didn't know I needed it. Well, that's a good way to end it. I appreciate it, Emily, and I will uh, keep in touch and, and see what, how your season, if it does restart. Fingers crossed. Yeah, you need to be out there playing. Everybody does. I mean, it's, it's tough to – a lot of people in the States can't get in the gym, so now that things are opening up, people can finally start working out and you know, playing basketball. So it's, it's good. We'll just see how things play out. But thanks so much for doing this. Thanks for having me, Matt. You're welcome. Okay, I'm here with Carmen Reynolds. Carmen Reynolds is a Columbus native, and she's currently living in Columbus and grew up in Hilliard. Hi, Carmen. How are you? Hey, Matt. Good. How are you doing? Good. Thanks for joining me on the second episode of MK Sports Around the World podcast. Tell me a little bit about your background at Hilliard Davidson and how your teams were and, and uh, your high school experience. Yeah, high school experience was great. I think what sticks out in my mind, what I remember, um, my junior year, I think we were like four and 18 and my senior year we were 18 and four. We did like a complete flip. Nice. <laughs> so yeah, there were ups and downs in high school, but overall great experience, great coaching, and I loved it. And then coming out of high school, what were your, your college choices and where were you looking? Um, I honestly was looking more mid-major schools. Um, so like Miami, Toledo. Um, I was looking really hard at Coastal Carolina because I love the, the South, better weather than up here. Yeah, but then last minute, Michigan jumped in and kind of as a kind of a joke, honestly, me and my parents were like, yeah, let's just go check it out, even though we're Ohio State fans. <laughs> And I'm like, I went into it thinking, I'm going to have to hate this because I like Ohio State. And I kid you not, almost instantaneously stepping foot on campus and meeting the coaches, I finally felt like it was right after visiting over 20 schools. So. And you had always lived in Columbus growing up, right? Oh, yeah. Always Columbus my whole life. So for people who aren't, I don't know, Ohio natives, if you live in Columbus, you really don't have a choice growing up here. I'm not from here, so I always had a choice. But <laughs> so, yeah, it's, there's a lot of pressure to go to Ohio State. And after just speaking with Emily Harmon about her experience, it's interesting that 
you know, you went and checked it out, number one, and then number two, immediately you fell in love with the the campus and the people. Uh, did you get any pushback at all from friends or family member that, you know, why are you going there? You should be looking other places or? Oh, yeah, I got pushed back immediately, not by my parents. My parents were 100% supportive, but just, you know, other relatives and other friends are like, what are you doing? You know, my brother was at that point was going to Ohio State, it was his freshman year at Ohio State playing lacrosse. So kind of starting that house divided thing was very interesting. (laughs) So did they recruit you during high school? I mean, do you know if they were at your games at all or? I honestly don't recall but I know I wasn't like directly recruited by them. And I didn't like, I knew I didn't want to stay close to home. So I didn't take offense to that. Even though I was a Ohio State fan, I knew I wanted to go at least two hours away from Columbus. I didn't want to stay in Columbus. And you're strong academically. So I'm sure that played a part of it too. I mean, that's a great school and, um, you know, it would push you and probably had a lot of, you know, academic majors that you were interested in. I'm sure that played a big part of it too. Absolutely did. Yeah. So tell me a little bit about your career at Michigan, how things started as a freshman and, and how you, uh, you did the first, first year you were there. Uh, from what I remember, I think maybe like halfway through freshman year, I started starting a little bit. Uh, I really remember my first game I played in that my coach put me in. It was at University of Akron. And I remember I kind of had a decent amount of family there because I have family in Cleveland. And I just remember hearing everyone cheer for me as my coach sent me to the middle to check in um to get in the game yeah were you nervous I was super nervous oh man yeah but I, I get nervous before every game and did you do Are well I, in that uh, game do you remember my, my dad could tell you <laughs> <I don't know. laughs> it's all a blur now it is a blur. it all blends together <laughs> yeah so I think the team turned around I mean they were I don't weren't they kind of mediocre early on and then by the time you graduated your class had really turned the program around right yeah, coming there, new newer coach. My class was his first recruiting class, so he finally had some players that he recruited. Yeah, we started turning it around um, by the leadership of our like you know seniors who were still there. Yeah, we made it to the NCAA tournament. I think what year was it? Junior year against Oklahoma. Yeah, so junior year, and then NIT the year before. So yeah. So when did you decide? that you wanted to keep playing after you graduated? Was that something you always dreamed of doing or was it kind of a last minute, I'm a senior, I wanna keep playing, I'm feeling pretty good, I did well or? Yeah, I think it was more of a last minute thing. Um, It was never like a dream of mine, but I think as I got close to graduation, I thought, how about let's hold off getting a real world job? (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) a lot of people do that. Yeah, and just to see the world. Um, And obviously, I love the game, but I think for me, it was more so to travel and see other cultures and other parts of the world. So it was more the experience, and basketball kind of gave you that option to do. Exactly, yeah. So your first year, you ended up on Madeira, an island um, in the Portuguese league. And then second season, you went to Sweden. And then I don't even, did you come home or did you go right from Sweden to Australia? I came home for 10 days. I surprised my parents and then flew out to Australia after okay. being home for <laughs> Okay. And then your last two years you spent in England mm-hmm. um, and you kind of had, what was it an ankle foot injury that prematurely kind of ended your playing career? Yeah. I mean, I had chronic ankle sprains my entire career ever since I was in middle school. 
And it, I had a really, really bad one in Sweden that I think was kind of the turning point. Um, and ever since that bad one, it hadn't been the same, but I continued to play obviously in Australia and England, but yeah, I got to the point where I was just having pain 24 seven. And the doctor told you it's probably a good time to give it up if you want to be able to walk when you're 40. Yeah, exactly. That, those literally his words. Really? By the time you're like 30. He, 30? He was, okay. Yeah. He, and he kind of gave me the option. He's like, you're eventually going to need surgery um, just because of all the ligament damage and scar tissue and all that. But he kind of gave me the option. I could wait and it might get a little bit worse. And, you know, I just have to live with the pain or just have surgery. But then likely if I had surgery, I wasn't going to play at a high level again. Um, plus I was 25 and I was going to be off my dad's insurance <laughs> pretty yeah. soon. Um, so that also weighed big, um, having it covered by insurance in America. Yeah. So it probably was a good time to give it up, even oh, though, sure. I mean, you were very successful and played really well and continued your stellar shooting. Um, <laughs> tell uh, everybody what you're doing now and, and what your career path has been since you gave up basketball a few years ago. Yeah. So ever since I came back, I've been working for the Ohio Hospital Association. I'm a reporting data analyst and I absolutely love what I do. Normal nine to five job. I just stare at a couple computer screens all day. <laughs> totally the opposite for basketball, but it is it really is me. And then usually my spare time, I don't, I don't play basketball anymore. It's too tough on my joints, but I play a lot of sand volleyball these days. So that's kind of been my outlet to replace basketball. And I see you occasionally since you're local, and I know you're you stay in great shape doing that. And no ankle problems at all from from sand volleyball. None. If anything, it's helped. It's helped my ankle. If that makes any sense, I don't yeah. know. <laughs> nice. But it feels great. Yeah. Well, a lot of people say running in the sand is good for them, and I never. You know, it always seems like you're barefoot, knees and ankles and feet are taking a beating, but then a lot of athletes do it. Yeah, it's the low impact. So how much do you miss basketball? I miss it. Sometimes like in my neighborhood, if I see a kid with a ball, I want to go up and talk to him. Because <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> um, I, just, I just, I miss it, seeing it. If I'm not around it, I don't miss it. Yeah. But if it's right in front of me, I'm like, oh, I, I want to play. <laughs> do you still watch it occasionally on TV? I mean, not now, obviously, but yeah. Yeah, yeah I'm really sad when March Madness was. Yeah, that. That hurt for sure. That was, that was tough, but you know, the NBA, I think was kind of the, the point, you know, that once Rudy Gobert got sick and they decided to cancel it, then everybody else followed suit. So it probably was a smart, smart move. Oh, absolutely. So when you think about your look back on the four years you were overseas playing, you know, what, what do you remember? I remember all the people I've met, different types of food, just the, the culture modes of transportation some places I had a car some places I got around by foot or by bike I love that part of it it's not America and that's what I love about it what was your uh, favorite place to play which country uh, I'd have to say Australia um, it was just beautiful um, where I lived I was what, like five or six miles from the beach I like to bike to the beach and just you know dip my feet in the water it was it was so surreal I loved it there and you were with it was Woodville, right? And that's near Adelaide? Yep, Adelaide, yep. Okay. Yeah, a lot of people, I think Australia is their top choice. For sure. Is there anything else about the, about the experience that you, that you miss or things that, uh, I don't know, maybe that 
people who are thinking about playing overseas and they don't, you know, not sure about it, what would you say to them? I would say go for it. I mean, I have no regrets. I miss it just because it's such an experience and not many other people have that opportunity to do something like that because of the sport they play. So as long as you love the sport, just have at it, take the experience, take the opportunity because it's a whole lot of fun. And that's a great time in your life to do it. Cause if you, exactly. you know, if you wait, you can, you know, you can't really drop four or five years in your forties and get, you know, go overseas. So exactly. for sure. That's so you're glad you did it then. Absolutely. I mean, I, my body took a beating, but <laughs> no regrets still. I'm still walking and I'm 30. So <laughs> yeah. Well, you're playing beach volleyball regularly. So yeah, <laughs> yeah. that, that means you're, you're staying in shape. Well, good for you. Well, I appreciate your time and, and thanks so much. And it was great catching up and you know, next time you see a kid outside, maybe they'll let you shoot with them, teach them how to shoot left-handed three-point shots. <laughs> I love it. Thanks for having me, Matt. All right. Thanks, Carmen. All right. Take care. You too. That was the second episode of MK Sports Around the World podcast. Thank you for listening.